Welcome to the podcast of Rogue Valley Christian Church. We hope to be a place that connects you to Jesus, encourages you to grow in your faith, and challenges you to serve the world. Uh, John chapter 8, we're just continuing in the study of the life of Jesus. We've been doing that for a number of months. We're going to continue to do it till we get to the end. Uh, scholars disagree on where the episode that we're at, they agree, they disagree not where it lies, but the time frame. Some believe like it's only, it's like two thirds of the way through his ministry. Others, as I've mentioned, believe that we're about halfway. It doesn't matter. What we do know is this, is there's still a lot of things to come. I will let you know this if you're so inclined to read ahead. In all of the Gospels, you're going to find out that the tension between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day continues to increase from here on out. And as a result, there are going to be things that Jesus says and teaches and challenges in that day that will be just as challenging and hard to hear in our day. But it is the truth of God's word. Amen? We're in an interesting passage because... Let's not forget that he's still, Jesus is still, the context of what Larry read is still the Feast of Tabernacles. That annual pilgrimage where the males in Israel were expected to make their way to Jerusalem with their families if they could. And some people, historians believe that the population of Jerusalem would have swelled immensely during these different festivals. There were three festivals that they called pilgrim festivals that everybody had to go to. The Feast of Tabernacles was one. There are a lot of people in the area at this time in the ministry of Jesus, specifically in the temple area, specifically in Jerusalem. Because it's a Feast of Tabernacles, that time when they would remember how God had taken care of them in the past and how they were actually, by looking back at what God had done, looking forward to what God would do. This is a great uh, reminder for you and I. I mean, think about your own testimony. Even as you go through difficult days, it's worth remembering what God has already brought you through. Yes? Because that helps us to trust God in the future. Well, this is what the Feast of Tabernacles simplified meant to the people of God. Don't forget there was probably close to a million people camping in little man-made tents outside of the city as as a way of experiencing what their ancestors would have experienced as they wandered through the wilderness. Feast of Tabernacles was dominated by two main Uh, uh, symbolic uh, things that would happen. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about each day during the Feast of Tabernacles, the priest would lead a processional down to the Pool of Siloam, dip out a pitcher of water, and then make their way back to the altar, all the while singing, expecting great things from God, and then they would pour that water out on the altar. Remember, that's when Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, they can come to him because... He's the one who can provide living water. Rivers of living waters will be gushing from their lives, so to speak. The other main symbolic thing that happened during the time of the Feast of Tabernacles is that each evening in the court of the women, now let me clarify this for you, okay? Back in those days, and actually even now at the Temple Mount, there are places that men can go, which is everywhere. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't make the rules. But then there are places that women can go, 
It's not that the men can't go there. It's the only place that the, the ladies could go. I got to be honest. When I, when I was at the Wailing Wall, the Temple Mount, and I was there watching all of this, I thought, that's not cool. <laughs> that was my big reaction. That was my big protest. I may have thrown a fist in the air. Nobody saw it. You know why? Because there was bar mitzvah happening, and it got real loud real quick, because that's Israel. Well, what was happening in the court of the women each evening at dusk, the temple servants would go around the court walls, and they would light these giant bowls of oil that had wicks that were the old garments that the priests had worn out, they were then used in these giant bowls that were filled with oil. Think huge torches. I've read different things. I've read that there were four or 16. I lean towards 16. You know why I lean towards 16? Has nothing to do with history, has nothing to do with theology, has everything to do with me liking light more than dark, except for clothes. Right? Let's just say there's 16, if you will, the possibility of these 16 gigantic torches surrounding this court. By the way, did I mention that the court could hold, scholars believe, up to 6,000 people? It's a lot of people. So each evening during the Feast of Tabernacles, the temple servants would go and light these torches. You have to imagine this. Jerusalem at the time is this city on a hill, right? Literally, it's kind of on a hill. They call it a mount, but mm, they're not from Oregon. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Do you guys call Roxanne a mountain? No, it's a hill, right? They would call that like, that's a big mountain. Eh, I've seen bigger and better. You know what I mean? So Jerusalem is sitting up, and the temple is even higher on the temple mount, right? And so when these torches would be lit, the temple area that they were lit would literally glow and be able to be seen from miles away. This glowing light in the darkness. It gets better. It gets better. This this ceremony, this lighting ceremony, happened every single evening during the Feast of Tabernacles. After they would light the giant torches, the people that were in the courtyard would have their own mini torches, if you will. Here's what I want you to think. I'm going I'm to put this in your brains now because it's good for it to play through the whole service. Are you with me? Some of you are like, it depends on what you're going to say because <laughs> some of you are smart. Let me rephrase that. Some of you are experienced. (laughs) The people could have been up to 6,000. They had their own little lights. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. I've never sang it that way. You know what I mean? Because we're in church. Lock your hips down. Don't move. (laughs) Right? The people, after these giant torches are lit, would then light their own mini torches. And if that wasn't cool enough, think like Christmas Eve. You know, candlelight Christmas Eve services. 
that's my, that's the, that's the sound that lighting candles makes. It doesn't, but that, that's why it sounds in my head. And this whole dark sanctuary gets lit up with this glowing, beautiful candlelight that reminds us that the light of the world has been born to men. Are you with me? 6,000 people lighting these little mini torches while these huge torches are burning above their heads, emanating this unbelievable glow for the world to see. It gets better. (laughs) After they light the candles, their own personal candles, I don't think this is safe, but who am I to judge? They would then start singing and dancing for hours for hours. They're just singing and dancing. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That's the extent of my dancing. (laughs) I feel like I hit the rhythm okay on those two steps anymore. Somebody's falling off the stage. They weren't just singing any old songs. They were singing songs that would remind them of God's care. It would remind them of God's ability to lead them. It would remind them of God's presence. See, because the big torches and the little personal torches were all, during the Feast of Tabernacle, an evening reminder of the presence of God. Do you remember when the people wandered through the wilderness? Not only did they have to trust God for water or provision, but each evening they trusted him for leadership. Because remember, during those days, he led them by a pillar of cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night. And that's what they're commemorating. That's what they're remembering. These were the two main symbolic happenings during the Feast of Tabernacles. And it is no wonder that Jesus, if you will imagine, while these torches and these little lights, while they're being lit up everywhere, Jesus pronounces and speaks to the people, I am the light of the world. He makes an announcement in such a way that clearly communicates that he is what all of these torches and candles and lights and songs and dancing, he's what it's all about. I thought that was a little more exciting. Long weekend? Let's go, people. We'll let you sleep in an hour. By the way, it is really kind of nice to have like first service, second service people here together. If you see people and you don't recognize them, you're like, oh, new people at church. No, they've probably been here 37 years. (laughs) Some of them sit in the same seat you do, just at a different time. But it's good to be together, right? It's important for us to remember, just like then, everything that we do here is supposed to be a reminder about who Jesus is. The songs that we sing are supposed to remind us about who he is and what he's done. The passages that we read are about who he is and what he has done. You know what I'm saying? Don't get me wrong. I mean, there is a lot that we can learn here. But if you're wanting to hear like seven steps to a better life, I mean, I've been here six years. I don't think I've ever done that message. But if you want sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon, The leadership team here is committed to, like, let's see what the Bible has to say about who God is and then how we're supposed to be in light in the light of that. Yeah? Yeah. Jesus stands up in this unbelievable moment that is movie-worthy 
If we don't have enough money to have Hollywood make it, then just make it up in your mind because God has given you a mind with the ability to imagine and think. So just see that in your head. Jesus stands up and he says, I am, which by the way would have gotten religious Israel's attention. You remember when Moses, when God introduced himself to Moses and Moses was like hiding behind, you know, outskirts of nowhere trying to hide away from the mistakes that he had made 40 years earlier. God interrupts his existence through a burning bush. And Moses is like interested, yet terrified. And then he's intrigued. So he says, well, who are you? And God says, well, hang on, hide behind that rock. And he hides behind the rock. And God says, I am who I am. See, it was a claim to divinity and they don't miss it. Jesus says, I am the God who brings light In the darkness, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What is ironic about the way that John puts this together is in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He's speaking it, let's not forget, he's speaking it to a massive crowd, massive crowd of religious people. Let me rephrase that. He's speaking it to a massive crowd who believed that they were walking with God in all the light that they could muster. And yet what we're about to read is that they were actually stumbling, stumble, stumbling around. That's like tumble and stumble together. They were stumbling around in darkness. Look at what happens. Verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself And your testimony is not true. Don't forget, according to the Mosaic law, the truth of whatever one might claim had to be confirmed by two or more witnesses. So the Pharisees, beginning, remember, have already decided he's not the Messiah. They've already rejected him. They're working hard to get rid of him. So they use this legal perspective on the Mosaic law to go, look, whatever you're saying doesn't matter. And especially, do you understand you're claiming, like you're like walking right up onto the edge of blasphemy and you cannot be trusted because you're just saying this about yourself. You don't have any witnesses. So the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. So Jesus answered and said, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. Because just so you know, if you've ever wondered, well, wait a minute, he was alone. As the I am, he is part of the reality of a Trinitarian God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. He is legally safe and sound in what he's saying. So he says, what I'm saying is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going but you do not know where I have come from or where I'm going. You have no idea who I am. You judge according to what you see in the flesh, yet I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Jesus meets them right where they're at. I think it's a gracious interaction because he didn't have to. Don't forget, at this point in his ministry, he's already healed multiple blind people. He's made the lame to walk. He's actually raised the dead back to life again on multiple occasions. Jesus had plenty of witnesses who could confirm the reality of his claim. You see that? Just think back. 
plenty. And yet they still are rejecting him. We asked ourselves earlier in the week, why? Why would they reject Jesus? They were looking for a Messiah. In fact, the scriptures tell us they were looking for this Messiah. The Messiah who would come as the light of the world. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, it says this. God says this. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea and the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, which, by the way, is where Jesus is from. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 2, they were looking for the Messiah who would come and, and be the light shining in the darkness. Isaiah chapter 42, verses 6 through 7, I am the Lord, and I have called you in righteousness. This is, just think for a second, this is God the Father speaking to his Messiah, speaking to the Son. I am the Lord, and I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for my people a light. For the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring, about, bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prisons, those who sit in darkness. They knew what they were looking for. They were looking for the one who would bring the light of God's love. And Jesus stands up and he says, I am that one. But because of their own predetermined rejections, they refused to believe it. Even though the scriptures made it very clear. One more, Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. I love this one, by the way. Again, God the Father speaking to his Messiah. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. It's too light a thing just to save Israel. I'm about something bigger, God says. And Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world, just as your prophets had promised that God would provide. But they still rejected him. They still rejected him. I suggest they rejected him for three things, for three reasons. And I take the time to do this because I think Jesus was speaking to religious people. And it's good for us as Christian religious people to be cautioned a little bit. They rejected what God was doing because they relied on their own religious observances to be acceptable to God instead of his grace. They relied on their own ability to carry out their own acceptability to God instead of God's grace. They missed it the whole time. So therefore, they didn't need anybody else because they had accomplished all that they were, quote unquote, supposed to accomplish, even though we know that that's not true. Furthermore, they prided themselves on their own head knowledge about God instead of God's ability to transform their heart. They had already made up their mind that in their mind they knew everything that they needed to know mindfully about who God was and they didn't need anything beyond that. And the whole time in the story of Jesus, you see them missing God's desire and attempts to transform their heart. Our religion, our Christianity is not here as much as it's here. Yes and amen. Does it 
make its way to here? Yes, as God works here. Are you with me? Furthermore, they were more interested in their own religious interests than they were concerned for the purposes and plans for God. So they continued to reject him, this time because they believed he was breaking the law about his claim and claiming it on his own. Well, Jesus calls them out for that. And he goes even further. And he says to them, not only do you not know me, but you don't know me nor my relationship with the Father. You don't know where I've come from. You don't know where I'm going. And you don't know who has my back. They then get frustrated because this is a tense conversation. It's hard to see it when we're just reading it, but the tensions were high. They get really frustrated, and they begin to say, well, wait, 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 where is your father? Which is actually cold-hearted. We just kind of read it, but it's cold. Because almost every scholar that I've read agrees that by this time in the life of Jesus, Joseph had died. So when they say, where is your father? They're not talking about God. They're taking a stab at his heart. I don't know about you, but I read some of these things, and I'm like, golly, these religious leaders, these Pharisees, how could they? And then I look in the mirror. And I come face to face with my own religious shortcomings face-to-face with my own pride, face-to-face with my own judgments, face-to-face with my own head knowledge, face-to-face with my own expectations. And I fall down to my knees, desperate for God to work in my life because I see that my, the difference between me and them in my flesh is infinitesimal. I've been waiting all week to use the word infinitesimal. <laughs> I kid, it just popped into my head. I was actually really proud I said it right. It's the little things, ladies and gentlemen. They take a stab at him. And Jesus responds, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. It's theological. You don't know what you're talking about. You, the religious experts in this land, haven't a clue about who I am and where I've come from. Verse 20, these words were spoken in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. What I think is interesting about that last little verse that we read, verse 20, is it's a reminder. It's just a commentary verse that John slides in there that lets us know what happened at that time. And we kind of skip over it, we glaze over it, we gloss over it. But in reality, it's communicating a huge reality. It's communicating that no matter what is going on in the world, no matter what was going on with the religious people, no matter what their rejections or opinions or power was, none of it could stop the purposes and plans that God the Father had for God the Son that he was going to bring about in the power of God the Spirit. Nothing could stop it. How do we know that? We know the rest of the story. We know that Jesus would continue to minister, and he would do so as living water and the light of the world and the good shepherd and all of the other I am's that he claimed himself to be, which we're going to look at in the next few months. He would do so all the way to where he makes his way back to Jerusalem 
and he gives his life as a ransom for many. And then is buried and rises again on the third day, spends a bunch of time with his people and ascends to the right hand of the Father where today, right now, he sits praying for his people. So when John just says, man, they were frustrated, but nobody dared touch him because his hour had not yet come, it's a statement that's meant to remind us that no matter what men do, God is still in control. Which brings us to our lives now. How does this work out for us? What, is, what are we supposed to hear? Are we supposed to just get like a little bumper sticker? Or are we supposed to just stand up, pass out candles, make the room dark and sing this little light of mine? I'm going to let it shine. Went through my head because I thought it could be fun. I mean, I'm all about let's light up the church and risk burning it down for Jesus more than once a year. Let's just do it. We checked our insurance. It's all up to speed. We're fine. Or is it supposed to go beyond maybe our own symbolic little things? It's supposed to transform our lives. I do believe this. As Jesus stands up and proclaims himself to be the light of the world, then we're supposed to remember that he, is, he was, is, and always will be the light of the world. And for some, he is the light that can lead them out of the darkness of sin and death. We talk about this all the time. We know almost everybody in the room. Not everybody. We know almost everybody in the room. We get comfortable where, where it is that we think we all are. And, you know, as we peruse the room, we're like, oh, we're, we're all kind of on the same page, on the same team. We've all accepted Jesus. But just in case there is somebody here out there online or out under the covered area, although I'm pretty sure Linda loves the Lord. Make no mistake about it. Jesus is the light of the world, the very light that can lead you out of the darkness of sin and death. The Bible is very clear, regardless of what culture has to say and regardless of how culture tries to water everything down, regardless of how we even feel about it, the Bible proclaims, the truth of God's word proclaims that the wages of sin is death. Sin was, is, and always will be until Jesus comes back again and rights every wrong, it will always be a big deal. I would even add that it will always be a bigger deal to God than we make it. It is a very big deal. So much so that the penalty for sin is death. And I don't know about something that could be more dark than death. But the Bible goes on to proclaim the free gift of God is salvation through his son, Jesus, the light of the world. The one who came to light up the way out of sin and death. If you have never accepted the grace of God in Christ, recognize this. That the time to do so is now. Because the choice is actually serious. More serious than we think. The time to recognize that the light of the world has come. And even in your hearing, giving you the ability to have a way out of sin and darkness illuminated for you, the time to make a choice and a decision about the love of Christ in Jesus is now. It changes everything. 
It moves you out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his marvelous light. It moves one from spending eternity in hell, suffering the wrath of God, to eternity with God in heaven, enjoying his love. This is the gospel. This is is like how serious the issue is. So for some, Jesus standing up and proclaiming himself to be the light of the world. The application is simple. He is your way out of the struggle with sin and death once and for all. But for many others, he is the light of the world. That is the way through dark days. The way through dark days. Tim Keller said this, because of Jesus, there is always hope, even in the darkest moments of your life. Larry mentioned at the beginning of the service, he mentioned, by the way, there is no second service today. And right before this service at 9 o'clock, we met with our kids' workers, and we did a little mini-service for them, doing our best to inspire them to persevere in kids' ministry. All that to say, get comfy, because we got some stuff to say. Honestly, we'll probably be done in nine minutes. You're fine. But I just wanted to threaten with a long service. It went nowhere. Everybody's like, yeah, tell us something we don't know. (laughs) Larry mentioned when he came up and he welcomed people. He mentioned the Memorial Day weekend and those who have given their lives in service to our country. It's important to remember that many of them gave their lives because of the darkness that prevails in our world. He also mentioned some tragedies that have been happening all around the country, the latest of which was in Texas, where innocent little kids were killed in another mass shooting. The phrase, another mass shooting, is one that we've grown accustomed to, isn't it? I suggest to you it's not one that we should be comfortable with. We've grown accustomed to it, Because our days, the days in which we live, are dark. And it's not just generally. It's not just a cultural thing, a societal thing, a state thing, a political thing, a personal thing. It's a thing. And because we exist in days that can be really dark, people are going, trying. You could even say stumbling around, trying to figure a way out of some dark times. I suggest it may be even people here. I know it's church, and I know it's Sunday, and we all get up, and we all do our best, and we all come in, and whether we like to, we work hard on trying to take away the expecta- the false expectations about you have to be a certain way to go to church here. You don't. You know what you have to be? You. Again, that's worthy of an amen, maybe if it was. Like there's some people here from second service going, I know, I was with you, but the first service people don't do it. <laughs> so I'll do it. A. Man. 
Well, one of the great things that we can do here is just come as we are. And even though we know that, and I suggest as a community, we actually do a pretty good job of exemplifying that. Sometimes it's hard. Because whether we like it or not, sometimes we have to go through some dark stuff. So when you say there are people going through dark stuff, I'm talking about the possibility of people in here. But without a doubt, if it's not in here, it's all around us. Yeah? And we have a purpose in it all. I'll get there in a minute. Let's talk about these dark days. I came across something that one commentator said. To the darkness of falsehood, Jesus comes in as the light of truth. There are people all around us confused, being fooled, overwhelmed, and affected by lots of lies. And in the darkness of those falsehoods, Jesus was, is, and always will be the light of truth. In the darkness of ignorance, he is the light of wisdom. I remember hearing about this 25 years ago. I remember hearing that there is a time coming when people won't know their Bibles and they won't know about God and they won't know, and I'm using my best 25-year-old preacher voice, they won't know, you know, and da-da-da. And I remember being a young man, you know, 25 years ago, I would have been like 26 years old, you know, that time in your life where you're convinced you know everything. More so than the guys that are more experienced and older than you, and you would look at that guy saying, there's coming a time. And you're just like, you're an old, crotchety, mean person. How, you dare, how dare you judge this coming time? As it turns out, the old, crotchety, mean person was right. We exist in a time. I've talked to some young people who I've actually had to explain the reality of Moses or David or Jesus or the scriptures. I've talked to young people who think it's crazy that I still read the Bible. Why are you wasting your time doing that? They're not from Texas. I'm just, that's. We live in a time where people are spiritually ignorant. Now, listen, I did not say we live in a time where people are spiritually stupid. That's a different deal. It's number four on the list. We'll get, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But we live in a time where there's spiritual ignorance all around us. You know, some of the things that some people do that we get so fired up about, and how dare they, and can't they, and blah, 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 blah. Well, in some cases, just literally speaking, they're ignorant. They're not, they, they don't know any better. What do they need? Well, they don't need our judgment, judgmental name-calling. What they need is the reality of the light of God's wisdom that Jesus offers, because to the darkness, or within the darkness of ignorance, he's still the light of wisdom. Yes? In the darkness of rejection, he is still shines brightly. He still shines brightly as the light of revelation. It doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter to, I, I got lots of people in my life who have quote unquote rejected Jesus. I try not to ever take it personal and I just keep praying the reality that, well, it doesn't matter how dark that rejection is. I've seen Jesus light the world up before and I believe he can do it again. That's amenable. That's still who he is. In the darkness of sorrow, he's still the light of joy. 
I've seen it. I've walked people through it. I've watched him be just that with people who have experienced loss, with people who are overwhelmed by sorrow. I've seen Jesus be the light of joy and in ways that are impossible to explain outside of him. I've seen people smile and say, I'm going to keep trusting God. Smile on their face, tears running down their cheeks. It's the most beautiful joy I've ever seen. In the darkness of loss, he is the light of comfort. In the darkness of sin, he is the light of forgiveness. In the darkness of hopelessness, he is the light of hope. For anyone in here and everyone out there, this is still who he is. When he stands up and he says, I am the light of of the world. He is all of these things and so much more. What kind of more? Well, here, you have homework. Are you okay with it? We only get one service today. So we'll give you twice as much experience. Your homework is this. Look up. Look around. Consider the darkness that's all around. And then start putting words to it. Make a list on your mirror. You can do it in dry erase marker. It'll come off. Better yet, do it in permanent. Before you sell the house, just change the mirror. It's fine. In the light or in the darkness of you fill in the blank, he is still the light of you fill in the blank. If we'll do that, we'll spend a week doing that. Guess what's going to happen? We're going to come back next Sunday full of hope. We're going to come back next Sunday full of joy. We're going to come back next Sunday really celebrating our forgiveness. We're going to come back next Sunday full of a sense of being comforted, full of a sense of knowing who God is, having a a wisdom that we know didn't come from. We're going to get all of those things. How do I know that? Because this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. You guys are thinking, are we really going to sing that song? I'm going to let you off the hook now. No. Oh, jeez. Three ladies over here. Aw. 90 men in the room. Good thing. Don't feel like doing it. So here's the reality. All of these things that he is, he can still be all of these things, not only in the world, but in the world through you and I. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You know what our response to a dark world should be? Well, I'm going to do it again. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. Am I going to let Satan blow it out? No. no. I'm going to let it shine. How, what, where do we go now? I don't know if we should dance around the world. I like it, though. This is our response to a hurting and dark world. 
to the dark atrocities that we read about and hear about week in, week out, day in and day out. Let the light of God's love in your life shine. And the struggles that you may have with the people around you who just don't seem to get it. Repent from a judgmental attitude and let the light of God's love shine. But how do we know that's going to work? Well, I got, yesterday I was at a wedding. It was cold and windy. Do you guys remember yesterday? (laughs) Oregon weather is on a roll these days. But it was getting to where it wasn't quite dark yet, and I was sitting off. It was a huge crowd of people. I was just sitting off to the side, and I noticed that somebody in charge of part of the wedding went up and plugged in these lights that were under the canopy in preparation for when it got dark. But when he plugged the lights in, it was a little underwhelming. Because I remember the day before at wedding rehearsal, looking at the canopy and seeing all these lights, and in my mind, I'm like, oh, that's going to be beautiful. I'm that guy. I like ambiance. I like feel and vibe and all of those things. And I was like, oh, that's going to be beautiful. So when I saw the guy going to plug the lights in, instinctively, I was like, oh, this is going to be pretty. And he plugged them in, and I'm like, that's nah, a waste. Because you couldn't see it. And then I was immediately reminded that the sun was going down. We were going home. We had a kid to get to bed. But there were other people that were going to stay there till the sun went down. And as the sun would go down and as the day would give way to night, and as it would get darker and darker and darker, those lights that were hanging under the canopy would get what? Let's go ahead and say it together. Brighter, brighter, and brighter. More beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And everybody there would have been like, oh, my goodness, all the lights. And if you were at that wedding at nighttime, just please come and see me afterwards and tell me that's exactly what they did. <laughs> see, that's the, that's the amazing thing that Jesus is saying here. In the midst of a dark world, then and now, he can still light it up like nobody ever could. And the beauty is, through his infinite wisdom, which I will admit I do not understand wholeheartedly, He decides to do that through me and through you. Me and you. Peter says this. (laughs) He says in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. When we sing that song about a little light that's going to shine, we're talking about proclaiming the excellencies of God, which is seen mostly in his son. We're just talking about talking about Jesus. We're talking about living Jesus. We're talking about praying to Jesus. We're just talking about Jesus. Feast of Tabernacles. We spent three weeks... In that feast, Jesus stood up and proclaimed himself to be the water that can uh, quench the thirst of any soul. And then at another point, he stands up and he says that he is the light of the world. And in between, he forgave an adulterous woman. 
I don't think it's a coincidence for us. I think we're supposed to remember that at the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus, Jesus made it clear that even the most guilty of sinners' thirsty soul could be satisfied by his forgiveness. And that forgiveness will move them away from stumbling around in the darkness and help them to walk in the light of his unconditional love. May we be a people who raise up the light of his love in every area of our lives so that anyone in any place can find their way out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Why don't you stand for a moment? As the worship team makes their way back up, I feel like it's worth personalizing the preaching, so to speak. And I can't think of a better way to do that than through communion. On the way in, hopefully a greeter offered you a little communion packet. If they didn't, you know that at the back of the room we have some more available. I can't think of anything like communion that makes all of this very, very personal for every single one of us. Personal to the point of motivating us. Because the very act of communion, the very elements themselves, and the very act of eating and drinking in remembrance of Jesus is a reminder that the darkness that we judge that's all around us used to be that which we lived in ourselves, and it was by the grace of God that we were delivered out of it, which then becomes a motivation to make sure that this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And Some of you are thinking, I am not going to be able to get that song out of my head for the rest of the day, week, or even month. And I would say, good. So, Nathaniel's going to lead us in one more song. And as he does, I want to encourage you on a personal level. Don't worry about what anybody else around you is doing, but on a personal level. You remember what Jesus has done for you. And in so doing, don't miss the light of his love for you in you and ultimately through you. And as you eat and you drink in remembrance of what he has done, recognize the responsibility of what we can now do. And we can proclaim his excellencies. And we can tell people great testimonies and stories about how he has moved us from darkness and into his marvelous light. Father, we thank you for your word pray that you would be honored and glorified as we think about it, as we consider it, as we try to live it out in our lives. Even, Lord, as we remember your grace through communion, I pray that you would meet each and every person here in a unique and special way, that you would bring wisdom and joy, comfort and hope to any situation that we might be a people unmistakably shine the light of your love in the midst of a dark world. Please, Lord, use us for your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. 
For more information about Rogue Valley Christian Church, please visit our website at www.rvchristian.com.